welcome to Forever Canon, the podcast where we talk about exiles, escapees, and lots of details about the ships. I'm Justin. I'm Tim. And this week on Forever Canon, we're going to talk about Legacy of the Force, Book 4, Exile, chapters 5 to 8. But first, bum bum bum, previously on Forever Canon, Jason has bad dreams and traps some piss smugglers. Firing on your parents' ship is definitely the right choice. Make Jason a master must be a rat in the order. Wedge doesn't surrender, but he is fired, and the solos hide with Lando. But that was last week, y'all. This week, we're going to start with Chapter 5. And like every Aaron Alston chapter, we start with a location heading, don't we, Tim? <laughs> yes, we do. And we are on Coruscant. We are in the Skywalker Temple Quarters. I, I tried to make these things a little more succinct. Yeah. So, so I don't have to write 19 words at the beginning of every uh, chapter notes. Yeah. It's a little redundant when you're m- summarizing everything as <laughs> yeah. you go along. But such is the case. That's not a beef with Aaron Olsen. That's just me. Here we are in Luke and Mara's quarters. And they're brainstorming what to do with Ben now that everybody is all back in the temple together. They don't want to chase him away. No. They don't want to make him feel like they're bullying him. So they think to themselves, how do we teach him? They have literally one idea. Give him a history project to research Papa Vader so he can see all the things he did and compare that to what Jason's doing. It's not a terrible plan. Is is it a solid plan? <laughs> well, if he the thirteen year old draws the parallels. See, now that was my. Let's re- go back a few more words there, because that was my sticking point. Is that you're literally you're giving essay homework to a thirteen year old. Yeah, that's a brave choice to endear him <laughs> to what you're trying to do. Here. <laughs> hey, uh, hi, welcome back to the temple. Uh, if you could go ahead and write me a 33-page essay about your dead grandfather and all the horrific things he did and how similar it is to what your cousin and hero and piece of your heart is doing right now, that'd be great. If you could just yeah. go ahead and do that just real quick. Feel You're free. Th- 13, though. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe essay- essays in the Jedi Temple are like, I don't know, Not maybe they're fewer and further between than they were when I was in school, but... We didn't like them. Well, we also didn't have set time aside for lightsaber training. So yeah. more time for essays, I guess, right? Uh, I like how they describe his his overall emotional feeling, too. Yeah. Just from his room in their quarters. Yeah. Just a chill. Yeah. Just they can feel him just <laughs> chilling. He's just yeah. chilling in there. But before they can assign Ben his homework, a mysterious visitor arrives at the temple for them. Aaron Alston names him Twin Sons 3. Always hearkening back to the his his favorite fighter pilots and all those books that he wrote where he focuses so heavy on all the, the squadrons and the fighters and the, and the space battlings. But it's Jag Fell. Yep. Yeah. I love this robotic, white-skinned, black sheep. And we get a good description of him. Like a really good one. His was a lean face with startlingly bright green eyes 
and a scar leading up from his brow to his hairline. His hair was still dark, a bit longer than the military haircut he had once typically worn, with a mop of it hanging almost into his right eye. Where his scar entered his hairline, one stripe of hair was white. The trim, rakish beard and mustache were new, and gave him an even greater resemblance to his father, the famous Suntir Fell. Uh, not that famous to me. Nope. I'm vaguely uh, familiar with Jag's past, having read the NJO books and the Dark Nest trilogy, but uh, I don't, you know, I was more focused on my boy, Jason Solo. All yeah, along the way. yeah. <laughs> and that's one thing I'm definitely noticing, like rereading these books is like, I was not paying much attention to anything else that was going on, or at least not absorbing it. As much as everything that was happening with Jason. Yeah. I, I remember every detail. Yeah. Jason and so, the comparatively. events surrounding, surrounding him. him. Yeah. Like the, the people that Jeez. come in and out like like Jag. Yeah, I mean. He was there. And he does important things and he's really cool. But I just, it's it's nine books. It's 3,000 pages about Jason Solo. Yeah. It's not, it's not anybody else's story. Or is it? But this man, whose story it could possibly be, who knows, he could step in here in book four and totally take over the narrative. Jack Fell is a handsome bastard. Who's also, much like Zek was, used to be pretty into the angriest Jedi. But he's not here to talk about Jaina. He's here at the temple to warn Luke and Mara that Alema is back. And they're like, yeah, we seen her. Yeah, yeah, we know that. <laughs> we fought her. And they're like, news for you. There's actually a Sith with her. Basically, they decide we're gonna help you, Jack Fell, while you search for Alamarar. Yeah. We would love to sponsor you. Yeah, yeah. In this, in this we'll process. give you some credits. We'll give you some ships. And uh, Jack Fell also gives them some kind of computer chip. That's some kind of special computer program to track her through security cameras. Yeah. Oh, and some special nervous system zapper. That activates when you say her name and causes your short-term memory to dump into your long-term memory yeah. so that she can't make you forget her. Yeah. Kind of dumb. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of, that's a bit, I hyperspace I can buy for some reason, but like, this is a bit much. Yes. Yeah, so, quite the goober. Yeah, they gave you facial re recognition and like... Like, what's that, uh, it's with like, the elastic bands when you get angry well, kind of deal? Like a, it's like quick dry cement for your memory. Yeah. And it's name activated. I don't know. What the hell? I guess, how do you, how do you, how do you doubt any of the technology in a science fiction book? Yeah. But like, that is on another level. And Luke and Mara are super thankful. Yeah. They're very, they're very happy. And, but they do push it more into the Star Wars universe by saying, maybe yeah. we can get a force technique that yeah, uh, he's does like, that. Oh, uh, yes. He's like, instead of zapping ourselves with electricity, yeah. maybe we can turn this into a force technique. That's a good point, because I wonder if they will. Yeah. I bet you they do. Jag just gave them so many special problem-solving <laughs> little pieces of equipment. They say, what can we do to help you out, Mr. Exile? Excellent. Yeah. See see what I did there, guys? Exile. Excellent. Good work. I didn't write the book. Jag just wants something to do. Because civilian life is too damn hard. The exile is feeling lost. He says, 
It's just life is way too complicated as a civilian. In the military, you get your orders and you do them. Yeah. Out here in the real world, I got to think for myself. You got to make your own choices. And... Uh, that's hard. Ask anybody. Or, or be Han and Leia and make no choices. I was going to say, ask them. <laughs> it's really hard. So on his way out of this meeting, he passes by. That's right. The angriest Jedi, Jaina Solo. And she says, she's like, she didn't realize it's him at first. And then she's like, Jag? Were you just going to walk by without saying hello? And he goes, yep. Yeah. And he does. And he, he just keeps away. going. <laughs> I love it. Cold-blooded. Uh, that's, that's what you like about Jag, right? Yeah. Is that, that chest harshness. Yeah. Yeah, I like I like that too. Cause, especially because you called her the anger. She was so <laughs> pissed. You're just going to walk right by? Yep. See that's, you later. That's who she is. For now. Yeah. Cut to Tendondro Station. That's my uh, summary of the uh, gigantic location title. Yep. On and Leia are aboard their new temporary ship, having a first look at it as Lando's giving them a tour. This ship's name is the Love Commander. Hilariously yeah. cheesy, and I actually really like it. Yeah, extra extra emphasis on the love. Yeah, well, I mean, and it's Lando delivering the line too. And now, okay, 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 okay. I know I said I don't like Lando Calrissian. What I, I don't not I'm not taking that back, but I want to put it more into a clear perspective. Everybody has the hugest boner for this guy, and I'm like, huh, yeah, huh, traitor. Yeah, let's not forget that. That's all I'm saying. Okay, <laughs> I'm not saying he's not enjoyable, and I don't like him in the scenes and stuff like that. But I don't think he's some magic hero like everybody else in the story because okay han solo left everybody yep. he abandoned them to go get himself not killed and then came back to help everybody he didn't sell them all out and put them in absolutely life-threatening danger and then come back and help do a couple shots in the millennium falcon anyways i'm i'm sorry i'm distracted sidebar over this love commandership and this is what Aaron Olsen at his finest here. We get an unbroken 16 line paragraph describing the interior of this ship, how opulent and over the top it is. This interstellar bang bus. Yep. It's, it's gross. <laughs> yeah. There's like, there's like little couches with curtains. There's vi- oh, sorry, the vibrating couches with curtains. Sounds like there's like, some kind of sex swing hanging from the ceiling, which imagine that in zero gravity. What would you do in there? Madness. Silver sex swings, vibrating couches with privacy curtains, a fountain. Filthy. Disgusting, obviously. Yeah. Pretty much a big old space shagging wagon for them to lay low in. I don't know. What do you think of this shit, man? Yeah, I... The love command. And and not, not just this... Um, he gave a description of the inside and its extravagance. He also gives like a two paragraph description of its components. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, it has these hidden weapons on the top and the bottom. And the thing about this is that it has this super special array of listening uh, communication equipment and yeah. spoofing devices and blah, blah, blah. For real. Yeah. I like it. I shouldn't say this, but I skim that 
so hard when I'm like, here's a whole paragraph about what the outside of this ship looks like. Yeah. I could give a shit where it's like the same thing we were just saying at the beginning of the podcast. We're like, I'm so dialed into what the hell is happening with Jason Solo. I don't, I don't, I don't care for all the extra lines, about <laughs> all the extra details of the love commander. But I do like the idea of the ship just being like, it's a pit mobile. It's a, it's a, it's a pleasure yacht. Yeah. It's, it's a booze cruise, but Boobs cruise. I don't know. Yeah, in space. They have boobs in space? I don't know. They can't oh. mix their genes. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Lando, <laughs> Lando says, whatever you guys decide to do, I'm coming with you. But what's the plan? Corellia. We're going to zip through the exclusion zone, laughing at the Alliance picket vehicles, trying to blow us up. Then we're going to drop down on the planet's surface, determine whether Prime Minister Durgedjian was acting alone when he ordered the hit on Tenelka, which probably means beating a confession out of him, and then deciding whether to forgive him or kidnap him and his co-conspirators and bring them to justice. Oh, Lando asks, what do we do on day two? <laughs> yeah. Bam. There's, you know, it's funny. It's funny. Yeah. It's funny. It's yeah, good. it is funny. It's good. It's good it's writing. Good. It's good and I like it. I just don't love him as a human being. That's all I'm saying. But Han and Leia are going to go back to Corellia and beat a confession out of Dirk Gedgen. They're going to they're gonna hurt their best friend and master Dirk Gedgen. <laughs> Why would they ever do such a thing? Would they? I, I find it hard to believe. But look at them. Making their own decisions. Going after another prime minister. Yeah, well, yep. <laughs> Terrorists. It's hard to kick that habit once you start. Once you pop the fun. All right, listen. I don't want to compare terrorists to Pringles. I love Pringles. Yeah. But once you start terrorizing, the fun don't stop. All right, wrong slogan. But the whole thing is that I'm just glad they're deciding what they want to do. They're doing what they want to do. Yeah. Not in this scene, Lando didn't say, here's what I need you guys to do for me. Don't tell anybody about it. Yeah. He said, hey, Han and Leia, what do you want to do? And then they had a plan. Yeah, which was amazing. I mean, in a kind of sort of way, they have a plan. Cut to empty space. The Duracrud. Old piss pants, you're in Levin here. Stranded in space, just as Jason planned. And waiting to die. Perfect. Yeah. The The plan is going off without a hitch. Until she hears a voice in the dim light. Who's that stowaway? <laughs> it's a lemma. And she saw Jason's crew sabotage the ship and she brought the appropriate replacement parts. She says, but we will only give them to you if you help us find the solos. And of course, what are you going to do? Are you going to say no? So of course, old piss pants agrees rather than die in space. Yeah. What's she going to do? If she says no, Alema's just going to let her die or kill her and then fix the ship anyways. Yeah. Yeah. So she agrees to go after her hero, Urine. Yeah. The man she was uh, just recently comparing herself to not too many chapters ago. 
following in the, his footsteps, but she's like, nah, it's fine. She's like, I, you know, maybe I'll just admire him as a dead hero. That's fine. Maybe it's a good thing. Maybe you got to kill your heroes before they turn into bad guys. She didn't say that, but I'm throwing that out there right now. What if that is the key? I don't know. <laughs> All these, a lot, a lot of people go stray along the path. And it's like, what if right after you do your most heroic thing, a la Anakin Solo, you die yep. and you never live long enough. To do bad things. <laughs> is that is that the appeal of child soldiers? All right. Uh, moving on here. Is this a Lemus plan? Or is this Lumaya's plan? Ooh. Because I would have to think, obviously, Lumaya would have sent her off the ship on a mission. Like, yeah. On a, she doesn't just escape from Lumaya off the Anakin Solo, right? So at least some part of this has to be Lumaya's plan. But maybe just the you help me find the solos bit is something Alema added herself. Yeah. Because she's like, hey, you're a smuggler. You know? I feel like Lumaya, everything that goes on in yeah. these first few <laughs> books, she's, she's been a part of all of it. Man. I feel like she's just. She's just got the dirtiest fingers. Like, yeah. They're in everything. I don't know. But whatever her orders are, she's about to. She's on the way to carrying them out. Yep. She, now she's got a little helper. Chapter six starts on Coronet. Corellia. With Wedge leaving his public appearance handoff of the Corellian military. And he's still alive. Imagine that. He pops into a bathroom for a disguise and some weapons. As you do. He heads out an unexpected side door instead of the front or back, as you do. He makes calm contact with his spy wife who's watching him all the way, as you do. They're in the clear. Psych! <laughs> Not. <laughs> that's, my, that's Aaron Alston, man. Dropping psychs on us all day. He is a serial rug puller. Yes, he is. Two people in Jedi robes start trying to kill him. That seems weird. Yeah, he has to roll out into traffic. Yeah, he rolls into traffic and he shoots one of the Jedi. <laughs> he shoots him. The guy with the lightsaber. He shoots him twice. He killed him. Yeah. Which, again, that doesn't make much sense. So this seems like what we would call a setup. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, clearly, the, the whoever's trying to kill Wedge, which would be Durgedjin, He's trying to make it look like the Jedi killed Wedge. So it's like you get to stay mad at the Jedi because they're supporting the Alliance. And then you get to have Wedge die a hero to Corellia before he defects and goes over to the other team. Yep. And then becomes a bad guy. I don't know. Again, it's a pretty solid plan. Like you said, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But before Wedge has any time to think about it. He's rescued by a bearded man falling from the sky <laughs> and an ugly orange speeder doing the same thing. Yeah. And it is Jedi Master Corrin Horn and Miri Antilles, Wedge's daughter. Didn't you remember? She's a hell of a pilot. We haven't seen her since book one. Yeah. Remember we were talking about it in the last one and we were wondering about it before. Is this who the characters are going to be that he cycles in and out of the story? And I think so, right? Yeah, yeah. He's got his... Uh, he's got Jag. He's got the Antilles family and their the Horn family who are their best friends. Yeah. 
He's got the military section of it for sure. Yeah, that's definitely heavy on him. Corrin was hiding in the Jedi Embassy on Corellia last time we saw him. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I think like so. Luke broke in there or something and or uh Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Luke broke in there and he was like, Oh, I almost killed you. I'm laying low and trying to keep an eye on things and blah blah blah. Well, good thing. Cause now he's saved Wedge's life. And last time we saw Mary she was trying to kill her dad at Relideer. Yeah. Right? So that's good. This is a nice reunion. Just in time to save dad from assassination, a.k.a. murder. Let's call yeah. it the real thing. It's right? Karelian retirement. That ooh, That's a hell of a nickname for this <laughs> fucking move right there. Force him into retirement and murder his ass on the way out. Yeah. Like old-fashioned Karelian retirement. Dude, I actually really like that a lot. <laughs> you should... Uh, you should copyright that. Yeah, yeah. Trademark. Trademark. Verbal trademark. That's a verbal trademark. <laughs> Cut to Coruscant, the Jedi Temple Hangar. Jag didn't get very far. And this is from Jag's perspective. That's awesome. Yeah. We get to we get to have another voice added into the narrative. And I was thinking about it. So far, every book we have. We've gotten a new and really unique set of eyes to see through to for parts of the book, for a lot of the book. Yeah. In the first book, I mean, you didn't really because it's fresh and everybody is that character. Book two, Boba Fett. Yeah. New, very unique, totally different perspective. Book three, we got a Lemurar. Yeah. Very different. Yeah. Yeah. We got crazy pants. Very strange perspective. <laughs> and now we got Jag. Again, a really unique character with a very, like, uh, particular perspective that n- maybe nobody else would have. Yeah. And we're going to get parts of the narrative where, where, maybe, I mean, we get one at least, where we're going to get to see through his eyes what he thinks about what's going on. And it's a very cool way to just slowly add more layers to the narrative, like to the story. Like, you just put more and more nuance on top of nuance of, different people's opinions informing like the greater story of what's happening. Yeah. Cause instead of just always looking at everything, you boil it down to Jason and Luke looking between their yeah, two, sets two of sides. Eyes, yeah. yeah. Instead you, you throw a whole rainbow of different layers in there and it's Jag fell with a very particular perspective. Yeah, it's, it's like that. Um, it's like that movie uh, vantage point where it's, it's like they're trying to solve this murder, right? And it's, mm-hmm. they have to go like eight different eyewitnesses to this whole thing. Right. And right. everybody sees a different angle to right. it. Yeah. I uh, like it. Yeah. And really, with the way that this guy writes with two page vignettes, it works well to be switching perspective all yeah. the time. Like it, it, or he works it well. It's really, I love it, dude. I think it's awesome. Throw another freaking unique brain at the story. Stick another weird person in there to tell you what the weird shit they think about what the weird <laughs> shit that's going on. It's great. Fett, Alema, Jag, they're all one of a kind characters. And Jag Fell offers us an interesting thought on the Jedi. He thinks to himself, the Jedi didn't so much make plans as choose directions, such as make things better. Back in the days of the Yuzhan Vong War, the two different approaches had been a bit closer to each other. In these less defined times, the basic incompatibilities were more obvious. 
And I, first of all, that's a really like salient point that the Jedi don't make plans like he would be used to, like military directives. Yeah. With, I mean, in these peacetimes, they sure don't. Yeah. Where it's clear objectives and it's very easy to like evaluate your level of success. Yeah. Where he, you know, he was talking about how he's just all messed up with his regular people life. I, I think it's pretty cool, man. Yeah, because he uses the example, the military-based plan would be, like, because finding a lemma would be find and eliminate, mm-hmm. not yeah. find and, and try and bring her try, back in. Try and catch her if you can, but if you kill her, that's okay, too. But if you do bring her back, maybe we'll be able to save her, and maybe we won't, but, you know, that's okay, too, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. he's totally right. And that comes from the from the part where peace is an is like a less def- defined time in the war. Like we were saying, like there's clear goals and clear je- objectives. And in peacetime, you have to more definitely find your own way. Yeah. It's not, it's not so much. Okay. Protect this. All right. It's okay. What do I do today? Yeah. So hopefully we do get more of his perspective going forward in the narrative. And we get to see this, like I said, white skin, black sheep, exile, adjust to yep. life of, being removed from everything. And Luke walks in here on the, on the, on the temple hangar. And he assigns Jag and X-Wing and a Jedi team. And we get an even harder look at this exile talking to Jaina. Yep. Jaina walks in. Of course, Luke assigns her and Zach to Jag. They all know each other and it makes perfect sense. It, it all makes logical together. sense, yeah. Put your, put your personal feelings aside. Sorry, there's a Sith on the loose. You're going to yep. have to work together. And he gives Jaina the hardest, harshest explanation of the repercussions of whatever they freed Lobaka on her word to him and ruined everything. Yep. He says, to the Chiss and my family, I am an unperson and that's forever. Explaining to Jaina why he wouldn't want to work with her because she can't imagine why. Yeah, yeah, because she asked, and he's he straight to the point. Yeah. You ruined my life. Yeah, you ruined my life because you broke my heart and ruined my life. He doesn't say that first part. No. But I know that's in there from reading those other books. Yeah, that's yeah. definitely in there. That's a little extra context if you read behind. Yeah. So <laughs> Luke's making Jaina work with her. Two ex not boyfriends. Ex not boyfriends. <laughs> I don't know. I think her and Jag may have been official yeah. boyfriend at one point. Yeah, her her and Jag might have been a thing for but a little yeah, bit, but that's uh it's a power move by the Grandmaster <laughs> Jedi. Yeah. But also like he makes good arguments for why, right? And and fair enough, Jaina says nothing when Jag tells her why how you ruined my life and how I have nothing. She bites her tongue. Yeah. More of that chill. And she does it actively where when it's spelled out to you in the sentences, her saying she wanted to, to snap at him, but she held, held her silence or whatever. Yeah. Well, that's her telling you that she's doing that on purpose. Right. So make a note of that. More of that chill. She's getting more chill. Yeah. She's getting a little chill, bit of control chill, chill. going on. Yeah. A little control. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe she's just trying to impress Ben. Okay. Because he pretty laid her out pretty hard on the deck of the Falcon. Yeah, he did. You're not a good Jedi. You're not a good pilot. You're not a good soldier. Anyways, Luke has assigned Jane and Zek to help Jag find a Lemurar. 
So they start planning. I fully support this team up. Yeah, oh yeah. More Jag. More Jaina. <laughs> Zach's okay. More <laughs> Jag. <laughs> you know? Cut to Carillion Exclusion Zone. In a in a hilarious scene here where Leia is repeating everything Han, uh, not Han, everything Lando says with a force suggestion. They're they're being boarded by Alliance troops yeah. as they're trying to get through the picket line here. And Leia just repeats everything that he says with a force suggestion. Lando is the captain. They are all in, in disguise here because they obviously aren't themselves. And with these force suggestions, they trick an Alliance boarding party into letting them pass the blockade. Yeah, and giving them a secret passcode. I wrote down specifically, page. It's it's pages seventy eight to eighty. Go read it. It's I was fucking dying laughing. I know it's like so cheesy and stupid, but the way uh, like to laugh so hard. That's uh, I guess you guys don't know how hard I was laughing at it. <laughs> I was laughing so hard at it that it was really cheesy and stupid to be laughing that hard. <laughs> at it. That's my point. But like, oh man, it really got me, and it was really perfect for the moment too. Like. It's a low threat, nameless characters challenging three of the most established characters in yeah. the history of the story. Wearing little disguises and Yeah. And I like Lando's like character at this part. Yeah. Cause the first thing he gets they like I don't know, what is it? They use they communicate with him. And they go Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. They go ship to ship hail. Yeah, ship to ship hail, yeah. And hey, this is the spinner fish. And his first thing was like, "What's a spinner fish?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of Poe Dameron. Yeah, like, that's probably like that's an aspect of Poe Dameron's character. Yeah, that they pulled out of some of these guys where he's like, "You're the quick-witted, smart mouth, silly." You know, like who talks first? I talk, you talk. What do we do here? Yeah, and then he's like on the phone with Snoke on the ship to ship hail. Not Snoke, fucking uh, Hux. Yeah, and he's like, uh, "Oh, nope, sorry, can't hear you. Hold on. Yeah, hi, are you there?" Are you, and as much as those jokes seem out of place in the drama and tension of what's happening in the movies, it's not like that. It's pretty realistic to have a smart ass, smart mouth guy who's like yeah. not too particularly worried about offending anybody or if he dies or not. Even I, I can see if if we were in the Star Wars universe, that would be you. I don't know, but... man. I you know I like to think so, but I'd be. I would never, ever fly to space in a spaceship. <laughs> okay that's my that's my horrible confession to say in the middle of this podcast as much as i would love to i i would not be brave enough that would have to be like you would have to be born in a generation where that's normal yeah no fucking way am i getting shot into space in a chunk of metal no there's no way it's got shields great bye <laughs> <laughs> Have a nice fucking trip. They'll see you. I'll scatter your ashes on re-entry. I bet. <laughs> it's like it's not for me. I wish right. I, I wish I could. I wish I could put on a brave face and be like, yeah, totally. I totally would go to space. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Space is radical, lubed. But <laughs> I can't. I can't do it. Okay, but seriously, pages seventy-eight to eighty. Read those pages. Good pages. Read them and try not to laugh. That's all I want you to do. Try not to laugh an embarrassing amount like I did. <laughs> so, our galactic terrorist as comic relief. A surprise, to be sure, but a welcome one. 
Yeah. The, but the the laughing embarrassingly, it's even more so because it's reading, right? Yeah. You're not watching a movie, it's reading. And normally people read by themselves. <laughs> and, and not even just the that that layer of it too, like you're by yourself, but also the layer of interpretation that comes with reading text is a big part of it is I am making it that funny to myself the way that I'm reading it. <laughs> yeah. So like I'm really just making myself laugh about 60% of it. So yeah. it's extra dumb and yeah. extra too much. Too much. So good. I don't know. 7880. I like them giggles. Okay. Chapter 7. Star System MZX32905. That'll be the last time. I say that correctly yeah. <laughs> over the course of this book because I am not doing that a hundred times like we did last time. We haven't been here to Lumaya's asteroid palace in a while. Nope. No. Not since She's been busy. The, she not, hasn't been home. Not since Nelanie. Yeah. <laughs> Pour one out. Yeah. Okay. Lumaya is using practical effects to disguise herself. Makeup, wigs fake skin because she's hurting too much to CGI herself with the force. So she's got to use the old school practical effects like Jurassic Park style. Yep. Build a T-Rex robot that I heard the story the other day or read the story or one or the other. I assume it's true. That's that. Okay. The skin of the T-Rex was not thick enough to keep out the rain. Yeah. And it was raining a lot. So the thing would like malfunction all the time. So sometimes it would just like <laughs> freak out and like move or kick or swing its tail or scream in the middle of like other scenes or just like in the middle of lunch and stuff like that. Yeah. Crazy. Horrifying. <laughs> Not as horrifying as the guy who had to climb inside of the malfunctioning robot murder machine inside of it yeah. to fix it and climb out of its mouth. <laughs> All the while, it could just twitch and malfunction and rip you to pieces at any moment. Yeah. Like a real dinosaur. (laughs) Okay? Practical effects, not CGI. Yeah. Yeah, I I knew about the whole rain part and how it kept messing up, but I did not know that the guy had to climb in and out of its mouth. That's like another layer of the practicality where, like, yeah, you have to physically... It's a physical thing. You have to fix the robot. Uh, Again, I would love to say I'm brave enough to climb inside the mouth of a giant metal T-Rex, but I would not. I would quit. Bye, Steven. Mr. Spielberg, I quit. Goodbye. Yeah. Done. Story over for me. Anyways, Jurassic Park Park goes on. Life finds a way, as they say. Yeah. Um, But back to the point. She's using... (laughs) practical effects yeah because she's too hurt to cgi herself up with the force and so she disguises herself as a hapen noble she enters a a hollow drama level of professional studio that she has in her palace here yeah as you do turns on the cameras calls a bothan intelligence officer with details of all those bothan murders and an offer to help them attack the ga what the hell is she up to here? Why is she calling the Bothans to get them 
to attack the GA in retaliation for all the Bothans that she murdered. That she, she's not telling them that she did it. No, no. But she's telling them all the information about it. She's just out here making more chaos. Yeah, maybe to force Jason down a certain maybe right like direction. that's the thing that you never know about her is like how far forward is she thinking, planning, yeah. aware of? Because maybe like Jason can flow walk into the past. Maybe she can project into the future more uh, accurately or like reliably or more often. Yeah, or she, on command. she can like sift through the different possibilities. Normally, like, yeah, normally like the future visions just come to these people. Yeah. They don't, it's not a, a it's power a, that they can grasp. It's never clear on. either. Yeah, it's always, um, you know, I don't know, your nephew rolling over in the dark, pulling out his lightsaber, and then you ruin the whole Jedi Order. Yeah. But that's not my movie. I didn't write that movie. The whole point is, what is she up to? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Chaos is good cover. It could be. I mean, even the solos said so. When they were talking about their plan to get down to Corellia, they are like, we'll pass the blockade and then we'll hang up around the planet and wait for something to happen and then we'll slip down to the surface under the cover of chaos. So I think that maybe is this theme getting reflected again? Like, I don't know, but she's up to no good. She never is. <laughs> Like, really? True. Let's be fair. And we cut to Corellian Spaceport. You don't like that? What? Yeah, you like. <laughs> you love your little sideswipe noise. Man, I just, you know what? I tell you right now, go put on any Star Wars movie. Tell me there's not. It's 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 like an Aaron Olsen book. It's every, every two minutes is a screen wipe. Yeah. I'm surprised George Lucas didn't use Star Wipes like the nerd he is. Cut to... <laughs> Karelian Spaceport. Love, Commander. Han and Leia and Lando found their chaos and made it down to the surface of the planet. Good for them. But the news is throwing off their plans. They're like, Wedge retired? Jedi are attacking Karelian citizens? The hell is happening here? Because, again, Wedge was in disguise when he was getting attacked yeah. by the Jedi, who were actually other Karelians in disguise. So a few layers of disguises later, you figure out nobody knows what the hell is going on here. The only thing that Han knows, or he is reasonably certain of, is Lando asks, is he being forced out because yeah. he didn't approve of the attack on Tenelkov? Yeah. Or because it was his. Or because it failed. Yeah. And it was, it was his, his plan. plan. Yeah. And Han's like, no. no, no, no. He tried to minimize like yeah, casualties. Relader back in the first yeah. book. Yeah. So this he, he was like, We can't we can't be shooting down other our friends here. These are still our friends. There's yeah. no war back at that time. So yeah, Han pulls that really good point out, but now they need a new plan instead of looking for wedge. Cause they assume he'll be gone instead of looking for Gedgen Cause he'll be too hard to get to. They decide to circle all the way back around to Den Jack's Tepler. Yep. And I had to Google Den Jack's Tepler to remember. I did. Re I remembered him from the story, but I was like, what? was the thing that he told them to go do because everybody's just been telling them to go do stuff, of course, across all these books. I'm like, couldn't remember specifically what he did, but he was the one who sent them to go spy on that meeting when they were like up in the auditorium and Thrak and Sal Solo was making plans to kill everybody and ruin everything. Yeah. And they were like hiding in the dark. And then the light turned on beside them and it was, I don't even remember anymore. <laughs> there was intrigue and spying. 
They circle all the way back around to Denjax Tepler. And they meet with Denjax at, take a guess, a cantina. Yeah. Come on down to Han Solo's cantina is right. Yeah. It's, uh, I get it. It's, it's Han's meeting place. I get it. It's Star Wars. You throw back to the original movie. I get it. It's Han Solo. He's a seedy smuggler guy. You go to the bar for the meeting. But at a certain point, like, does it not just become, like, uncreative? I mean, I get, I get it. It's, it's very Star Wars. Yes, it is very Star Wars. But at a certain point, if I, if every time I need my characters, specific characters, yeah. to have a meeting, their first choice is to do it at a cantina at the bar. Like, we just did this in the last book with Aura Singh and Lady Morwen. Yeah. And, and they walked two feet over to the next table after they murdered a half a dozen people in the bar. And I'm just like, I don't know, man. We're back to the cantina. Is that what we're doing? Yeah. They could go to a coffee shop or something. You could like... go anywhere. Yeah. It's a whole planet. There's more places to not be recognized than just the bar. Yeah, but... I don't know. I think that if in real life here, if I were to if I were to have to have some sort of clandestine meeting, yeah, any bar downtown dark, where it's super loud bar. and dark. Well, I think part of it too is that it's like part of the pilot culture in real life on Earth is like the pilot's bar. Like yeah, you know, it's it's same thing with police and firefighters and like all like serving um, like military and stuff like that. Is they always that's part of their thing is like. Yeah. We have our place and that's how we uh let off our steam and that, you know. Yeah. So I don't know. I it's just a little too many times back to the cantina. Again, it is very Star Wars, but nah. But Han and Leia finally lay down a clear mission statement here. They say to Mr. Denjax Tepler, whoever tried to kill Tunnel Ka is our enemy and we will find them. Took a while for them to settle on what they're going to do about yep. this. But that's a good one. That's a good plan. I like it. And after hearing this, Denjax Tepler gives us some philosophizing. He says, everything you do helps someone. Everything you do hurts someone. Everything you do violates a law while supporting an ethic or vice versa. The only differentiation is whether you do things out of selfishness or altruism. And altruism just means I'm doing this to create a better world as I define better. And if there's no such thing as treason anymore, there's also no such thing as loyalty. You know what I mean? Um, if I could uh, pull a quote from NBA Jam, boom shakalaka! Because <laughs> that's a slam dunk. <laughs> yeah. Like that. I know, obviously, it's on purpose. This is your writing. This is your writer. And you want to reemphasize the themes over and over, right? Throughout yeah. your story. But that was a nice, just three-line, four-line, succinct summarization of the entire problem of Jason Solo. Yeah. I'm trying to do the right thing based on what I think is right. That's all you can do. Yeah. You can't do what somebody else yeah. thinks is the right thing because you're not fucking that guy. Yeah, lady, you can't alien. <laughs> you can't, you can't, and that is the flaw, the inherent flaw 
at the heart of the logic of, of Jason Solo's plan of how he is convincing himself that he's doing the right thing because it's the right thing for the greater good. But as we saw, like, is the greater good killing your parents to save your daughter? Or is that just your perspective at the time? Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's vision of the greater good is quite different. And even he, when he was like reflecting on that, he was like, well, that was the information I had at the time. So that was the decision I made. And so that's even more, uh, uh, cement the point where like, yeah, you did the wrong thing because you were only thinking in the moment of what was right and wrong, not forward or backward only in the particular moment. Yeah. I just thought that was like, that was a really good little summary here. I enjoyed reading that part too. Yeah, I really, I, really, I, I enjoyed like, it. Man, Denjax Tepler, I like him. Even yeah. though there's some guy that we've seen a couple of times, yeah, just, really came in I with had, some knowledge. I had to fucking Google him. <laughs> yeah, I did. Sorry, Denjax. I mean, I could have went through my own notes, but I was like, this Wikipedia is way better. So, I just think that was a really nice point right at the heart of the story. Jason Solo, are you selfish, or are you altruistic? The only two real motivations for anything is I do it for me or do I do it for you? Yeah. What am I doing it for? Sometimes those things line up, but often they don't. He, Dan Jax Tepler, tells Han and Leia and Lando that it was Gedjin who set up Tamalkal's assassination. Shocking. Yeah. I'm not shocked. And Corsac officers bust into the cantina. Right at this moment. Well, what do you know? Yeah, perfect time. Looking for secret meetings in a bar. What do you know? Apparently, they've read some of these books. <laughs> so they bust in. Lando flips the table and shoots one. Leia cuts a hole in the floor to the level below them. Han shoots another. And they all jump down the floor as Han pulls a total Indiana Jones move here. Yeah, he does. He like He goes to jump down the hole in the floor. He grabs the table leg of the flip table, and as he's going through the hole, his the table pulls, slides, and, and bump, covers covers right the hole the hole perfectly like a cork. <laughs> so cool! I like so it. Indiana Jones. Yeah, and they escaped. But he's not Indiana Jones because he fell a little awkwardly on the way down. I don't know if you ever seen Indiana Jones fall down. <laughs> not graceful. <laughs> okay, that's that's not that's not what Indiana Jones was about. There's a good argument to be made. It's the same character. Han Solo and Indiana Jones. <laughs> in, in, in certain many respects. Long story short, they escape. Chapter 8. We start in the private spaceport on Corellia. Wedge, Corin, Mirax, Ayala, and Miri are, of course, hiding in the same spaceport that Han and Leia and Lando landed in. That old smuggler spaceport yep. with all the secret friends who don't tell your secrets. Yeah, that uh, Denjax there uh, knew where they were. Yeah. So where, so, oh, you, where we're landed. Oh, you mean over in this spaceport? Yeah. yeah. Well, you wouldn't be here for this reason, and you wouldn't be there for this reason, so I logic to your location. Well, yeah. Wedge had the same kind of logic, apparently. So did the rest of his team. I'm not going to list all their names again. But they're hiding out in the same spaceport. Wives and, and daughters and family, basically. Yeah, they're they're hiding in there as Han and Leia and Lando 
come running into the spaceport yeah. and they go through a side door over to where their ship is. Jedi Master Corrin Horn can feel that it's Leia. And so they hear all the sirens following them right to their own hiding spot. Isn't that nice? Yeah. <laughs> here comes Han and Leia and Lando. You're like, oh, there goes my friends. And then you're like, here comes all the trouble that always comes right behind my friends. Well, I thought we were about to have an even bigger reunion team up here, but I guess not. No. Cut to the love commander. Yeah, they sure were followed. Han, Leia, and Lando can see a TIE crawler aiming right at them. I said to myself, and I wrote on the paper, a what? <laughs> it's essentially a tank with a TIE fighter cockpit. Yeah. It's a TIE fighter cockpit with treads on it. It's a land crawler with a with one of with the little And it just it orbs. made me made me realize like That's that's some amazing Star Wars homebrew right there. Yeah. Like that the the Star Wars role playing tabletop game that we play, we need way more creative ships and shit in there. What is this? A TIE crawler? What? I thought that was amazing. I thought that was the coolest ship until an emerald green X-Wing with a checkerboard pattern blows up our new tie crawler friend on its way out. And then I was like, emerald green? With a checkerboard pattern? You could do that? <laughs> of course you can. You can paint anything, any way you want. Yeah. But like your brain is just stuck on um, gray and red striped X-Wings from the movie. Yeah. There was no other colors until... Poe Dameron came along, and visually, I mean. Yeah. Dang. And then. It's going to change tabletop games forever. Like, we got to get way more creative. We got to step our game up. That's for sure. That's amazing. So, anyways, the X-Wings blow by. It's Corn Horn and it's Wedge. And they shoot their way out of the spaceport. And we do get our team up. The X-Wings lead the Pulsar Skate and Love Commander through a Carillion Corvette while destroying its engines, and they escape. Yeah. Aaron Alston, back, and making ships fight. <laughs> That's what he wants to do. Ship combat seems to be, like, maybe not as, I don't know if it's a specialty, but it's something that he at least really liked a lot. He put a lot of love and time into the description of the action, the description of the ships, the description of the technology being used on the ships. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. If it's not always my favorite paragraph to read. Yeah, because they even, he, even though we all know what the Carillion Corvette looks like because of the movies, right. he goes in the description of that because Lando feels bad for Leia. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that's because you might not know by the name of it uh, what ship you're looking at in the movie. Like uh, yeah, maybe the, based on the name in the book, because they, they don't tell you what the hell the ships are called in the book. Or, yeah. I mean, in the movies. They, they just say, like, there's a Carillion Corvette, a CEC yeah. class cruiser, <laughs> like whatever. Yeah, right? they just say Corvette or they. But then so what he does not. is he throws the like official terminology and name at you and then he ties it back to the visual memory of the movie, which yeah. is, yeah, like it's a giant ball yeah. hammer. You know, I, would, I, I do tend to forget that not everybody is as has read all of the books has read the, the books, books and watched the movies a thousand times yeah. and... no it's true too right like yeah. we come at this from the perspective of like 
we've even read these freaking books already. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Shit. We're deep in this shit. Yeah. And then sometimes it's like, oh man, I don't need to hear for the hundredth time that they've gone to a cantina. <laughs> yeah. But if this is the first Star Wars book you ever pick up and seven chapters into the book, Han Solo is in a cantina, you're like, oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Right. Meanwhile, I mean, it just happened in the last book and the fucking book before that. Yeah. It's literally, a, you would think the guy had a problem if he actually ever drank. <laughs> no, he's just there to fucking shoost. Yeah. I don't know. This it's this guy's jam though, is all the shoosting in the ships. But we cut to <sighs> Coruscant, the Jedi Temple. Ben! Finally! We didn't even hear from this kid until chapter eight. Yeah. It's chapter eight. We haven't heard from one of the main characters until chapter eight. Not once. Yeah. Luke and Mara talked about him. That was it. Chapter eight. 106 pages in. That's too long. Yeah. I like that. That's too long. What is he doing after all this time? The same thing any bored teenager would be doing in the Jedi Temple. Training with a droid. Fighting off foam steel balls. What the hell is foam steel? Squishy Um. metal? I would. I don't know. I would think they're. Does it look like a golf ball? I would. Yeah. I would. Yeah. Dimple. <laughs> they're, they're metal, but with like a foam exterior. Cushiony. I don't know. So they don't sounds, cause any serious harm. Sounds like you could just call it something else. Anyways, again, not to question the technology of the sci-fi here, but I just foam steel. All right. Ben uses his wits to beat the robot machine, not just his lightsaber. Jamming. The ball reloader. Yeah. And then, so he like he he's fighting this robot. The balls magically, magnetically, I should say, not magically. The balls magnetically are called back to the robot, and they they thunk into his head, and he sh- keeps shooting them in a nonstop succession of try and stop me now. And then when Ben starts squishing that, he, he holds the ball over its head with the force. He squishes it out flat and jams it in the hole, so it can't refill anymore. I was like, oh man. I don't know why, but for some reason, like that scene really struck me, and I was like, "Oh, I remember this very clearly." Really, so did I. exactly the same. <laughs> Man, I don't know why, but I, I, re- I must have just been like, "Oh, that's cool." Yeah, that like cool that's good idea. thinking. That that's great. Yeah, I know, right? Because me and you like to think that we're so fucking clever and smart, and like we enjoy that. Uh, and I, so I, when you see something that's clever and smart, you're like, "Oh, I fucking yeah. like that." Because I would like to be smart like that. But then <laughs> it was, it was just it was just like it wasn't the whole scene before. It was just like the flattening and the. And yeah, the block that was the, the whole... only part I remember. And then I after didn't it, remember I... the description of streams of balls coming out. No. Of. I didn't remember <laughs> the, exactly after, but he jams this ball reloader and he just Kobayashi marooned the whole process. Yeah. Bam. That's for my Star Trek fans. That's for my office fans. Write that down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for the listeners at home, Tim knows that I'm not the hugest Star Trek fan, and his face just about <laughs> jumped off of his face when I said the phrase Kobayashi Maru. I'm glad I, after 20 years of being best friends, I can still fucking surprise you. Because I'm a, I'm a surprising guy. Yeah, yeah. Just like Ben, and he surprised the hell out of that robot. Now, I was wondering on a meta level... Is this supposed to represent something? Is this supposed to be, I don't know, just like a general showing of us, uh, 
that he he's being thoughtful and, and creative and outwitting his opponents that way? Or is it like supposed to be focusing on it's a non-violent solution? You know, he's not just fighting the st- endless stream of murder coming his way. He's stopping it at the source. Yeah. I don't know. You know, I've just... I thought about that one a little too hard, I think. Yeah. I think I might have went pee in between those paragraphs or something, so I had a few extra seconds to wonder about it. But I don't know. Sometimes I wonder, like, what is put into the narrative? What percentage of things does each author put in the narrative as, like, a a sneaky little foreshadow foreshadow thing? Yeah. And what is... Or what is just supposed to be a reflection of the character's growth or their past or, like... Sometimes yeah. I spend too many seconds thinking about that. But this seems like it could be one of those moments. I didn't think of it like that, but I I am now and I like it. like, hmm, non-violent solution? What? Such a cool thing that he did that there's some pretty little girl waiting for Ben as he leaves training. Yep. It's, uh, I'm going to just say, I think I, I call her Siha. Yeah. <laughs> Is that, I don't know what you say. Yeah. I say Siha Dorvald. Yes, Jedi. Siha. Yeah. <laughs> The young Jedi who was on duty and brought Jag to Luke and Mara earlier in the in the chapters. Oh, yeah. They shake hands, and she slips a data card to Ben. And Ben freaks all out inside. A little thrill shot through Ben. He knew why. First, she was really good looking, and she was talking to him. Second, she'd just done something covert. He wondered what was on the card. Instructions to meet her somewhere, a communication from the government of Karelia begging his help to resolve the military crisis, an offer of a bribe. He'd just been kicked out of a practice session straight into a hollow drama, and he keenly felt the transition. This is a hilarious sequence of events, of, or a sequence of thoughts from a 13-year-old. Yeah. Where he goes from, like, is she, is she trying to hook up? <laughs> is, the, is the Karelian government trying to get me to save the galaxy? Like, dude, yeah. what? Is there in between? <laughs> yeah, is there somewhere in between? <laughs> you are. <laughs> He's just so excited. Like, hey, a girl talked to him. B, she touched his hand. Yeah. And he has pretty good reason to be excited also because she totally does flirt with him. Yeah, she does. And again, overanalyzing everything, I'm like, is she being sincere? Or is she trying to manipulate this kid? Because she tells him he's smart. She says, his braid, he's the only one with with the old the old Padawan wig, braid. wiggly little rat tail braid. Yeah. She tells him it's astral. Yeah. That's astral. Okay. We talked, about, we talked about lubed before, and lubed was cool. But astral... Is so fucking cool. That's way better. Astral is fucking lubed, man. <laughs> I love it. That's astral. Space teen lingo. That's what I'm here for. I didn't know it. All these years I thought I loved Jason Solo. Turns out I love getting astrally lubed. That sounds like not what I meant it to. <laughs> no. But nonetheless, Ben later goes and checks the data card. And it's a video of Jason. He says, I have a secret GAG mission for you. Steal the amulet of Kalara and bring it to me. 
It's a very special goober. Sounds uh, ominous. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a very ominous magic artifact. It makes you invisible in the force. Hmm. What 13-year-old trapped in a temple with his parents might want something like that? I don't know. It can't fall into the wrong hands, he says, no matter what, Ben. He even says, you might have to kill somebody. I think, pretty clearly, cut back to last episode, the end of chapter four, Lumaya saying, you need to test Ben. Yep. And here it is. It's perfectly tempting for him. It's one of the exact things that he wants. He wants Jason to teach him how to hide himself in the forest. And he wants to be able to avoid the scrutiny of his parents. Uh, yeah, and the like, rest of the Jedi and the Jedi Temple on a lesser level. But it also has like the right cons to it, too, where it's a Tendondro arms building. Yeah. It's Uncle Lando's company, you know, it, you might have to kill somebody if anybody gets in your way or gets their hands on it before you. That sounds pretty perfect. Help Jason. Find a dangerous artifact. A cute girl told you to do it. It's a secret. Yeah. What else does a 13-year-old want? Yeah. Are you kidding me? I'd be halfway there by now his if I was 13. His, yeah, his little flame red pubis is just <laughs> fired up right now. But that leaves us with a few questions for next episode. Will Ben get the magic goober? Who are Han, Leia, Wedge, Ayala, Corrin, Mirax, Lando, and Miri going to meet? And can Jaina stay cool with the Jagginator? With the Jaggybot? Find out next week when we continue with chapters 9 to 12. Of Legacy of the Force, Book 4, Exile. I'm Justin. I'm Tim. Stay astral out there. Oh, looped. For any comments and questions, you can hit us up at forevercanonpodcast at gmail.com. Forever Canon Podcast is a Jay Plazer production. Catch us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, Twitter, and YouTube at Jay Plazer. Check us out.